Um, is that going? Yes, that's working. Uh, seeing where Christ has brought this discussion over the last uh, few weeks, uh, months even, uh, that we've been looking at this, how Christ has brought this up to this point. And, and I want to start off by uh, just a um, introduction, just a little bit. What makes Christianity different than all other religions? What makes true Christianity different than anything else? Um, all religions uh, are a little bit different, you might say, but all of them are quite a bit the same. Uh, in all religions, other than true Christianity, um, they look at Christ from a standpoint of he is a good person, he is a prophet. Um, in fact, there's a, a book uh, called More Than a Carpenter, I think, and it lays out the, the, the premise that either Christ was a, uh, a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Those are the three things. He's, he cannot be a good person, he cannot be a prophet, and have said what he said, and done what he did, and, and still be a good person. Uh, when you look at Islam, uh, and, and they say that Jesus was not just a good prophet, or a good person, he was the perfect prophet. Uh, even Muhammad says he was the best prophet, and, but they don't read him. They don't listen to him. They, they say he was a prophet, but he was not the son of God. He was not God in flesh. In fact, you see, uh, they really, really struggle with the Trinity, which a lot of different religions do. Uh, you have um, Hinduism. They say that he was a God just like the rest of us are gods. And he was a good person. He taught very well. He was like uh, Gandhi or somebody like that. He was much greater than Gandhi. I mean, if you start reading and studying the life of Gandhi, um, the man was, he, he had a lot of questionable uh, things going on, like all of us do. I mean, I have questionable things going on in my life too. And that's what Christianity, we see those and we fight against that. Uh, but what makes Christianity so different? Well, what makes Christianity so different is that Jesus Christ claimed that he was God. And, and the Muslims will say, well, please show us where Jesus said, I am God, worship me, then we'll believe. If he said that, well, you don't find that in the word of God because God is not dictated by what we think he should have said. Uh, he's not dictated by how we think he should have acted. Um, the Muslims will, and I'm using the Muslims as an example because I deal with them a lot of times and they fight with this question, but a lot of times they will struggle and they will say, if Jesus was all man, then he would have had to do things like people do, which is degrading. And the Bible says he humbled himself and became human and, and he humbled himself almost to becoming a slave and, and he was willing to put on that flesh and go through everything that we went through yet without sin and, and that's what makes him so wonderful he did it without sin and, and so they'll say if he was god then he would have had to do things that god could not have done i'm like who are you to say what god could and could not have done that puts you above god and now you're dictating what god can do and that makes you the judge of God, which is blasphemy. Again, 
And, and so we've got to be very careful here, and I'm not trying to um, be mean to Muslims. I'm just pointing out they have some inconsistencies here, and, and we're going to look at this. There were at least two instances and more, if you really look at it, where Christ said, I'm God. Uh, you can look in each one of the Gospels. Easily, you can find it in each one of the Gospels. But I think mainly of Mark, uh, he calls himself the Son of Man. And he references back to Daniel, where Daniel in, in chapter 7, verse 13 and 14 says, the Son of Man will come uh, in the clouds, in the dominion. And, and it's none other, none other than God. You look at uh, John, where he says uh, that... Um, if you believe not that I am, you'll die in your sins. He is claiming to be God. They picked up stones and got ready to, to kill him right there. You look in, in Luke where he uh, is uh, giving the parables and he's doing the different things. But you can see he is the bread of life. He is the door. He is uh, living water. He is the light of the world. All these different things, I am. And what's so funny... Um, Every time that we say anything, for instance, I am tired, whose name are we using as we begin that? God is with me, and in my tiredness, he is there with me. I'm hungry. Well, God is with me in my hunger. I am sick and tired of the way the world is going. God is with me in that. He's, he is there with me in that struggle. You see how God is everywhere that we look. And, and as we see this this morning, I hope you'll be able to see and point out to your Muslim friends, because honestly, they're some of the nicest people to talk to. Uh, our mailman, I, I love to talk to our mailman. Uh, he comes by, he's one of the most pleasant men to talk to. And, and I've gotten him in trouble, uh, at least once I know of, where he's supposed to be working and he's there talking to me. Um, but he's one of the nicest men. And I know this is one of his questions. And so we need to be able to answer the question in an honest way and let them know that you've got to deal with this because this is who Christ is. So this morning we're looking at Matthew chapter 22, verses 41 through 46. Now, uh, we'll go ahead and read it, and then we'll do a little bit of background on it and then get into it. So it's uh, Matthew chapter 22, verses 41 through 46. It says this, uh, do I have it right? I don't think I am in the right place. Wait just a second. Nope, I'm in Mark chapter 13. So give me just a second. I didn't think that looked right. 41, there we go. It says, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them saying, what think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, the son of David. He saith unto them, how then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then called him Lord, how is he his son? And no man was able to answer him a word, neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father God, thank you so much for your word that you've given to us. Lord, I pray you would help us today as we uh, try to dive into this and, and, and just even catch a little bit of what is going on here, what you're trying to do. Uh, help us to see 
uh, just a little bit of your, your glory, a little bit of your, your majesty in this. And, and Lord, I pray you would uh, just help us to glorify you as you, uh, as you deserve. I know we can't do that. That's, uh, that's something that we've never been able to do. That's, that's one of our faults, but Lord, we want to. And I pray that you will help us to do, uh, do our best today and do something that glorifies you. We love you and praise you. Uh, just help our feebleness today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we start to get into this, though, and look at it just a little bit more, you notice that uh, all along the way, Christ has been building his crowd. We've talked about this over the, the last few months, how that he has started to draw people with him. He's gone from Galilee uh, down the outside of the, the Jordan. He's gone down uh, to Jericho. He's had discussions about what it's going to be like in the kingdom. Uh, he's told them that except you become as a little child, you'll not enter into the kingdom of God. What does that mean for us? I mean, how many of us are trying to grow up quickly and then you get grown up and you look back and you say, I really wish I could be like Ezra again. I mean, that kid, he was so much fun over the last week and a half or so. Um, just, I think I want to be like him again. And Christ is telling us this. We've got to become as little children. Uh, anyways, uh, that could get me off onto a tangent there. But uh, here Christ, then he starts moving from Jericho up. Uh, he's healed the blind men. He's eaten with uh, Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And he has proclaimed who he is again. The people are starting to see starting to come to him and flock to him because, I mean, who wouldn't? Uh, if Lazarus is raised from the dead, you want to get close to Lazarus so you can hear the story, and you want to get close to Jesus so you can see what he has done. And just maybe, I mean, how many of us in here, and I don't know that I can say this correctly, but how many of us in here are expecting one day to die? I mean... I figure I'm going to die one of these days. 10 out of 10 people die. That's a problem we all have. If you knew that there was somebody walking around and he raised Frank from the dead, you know, I'm going to get as close to that guy as I can because when it happens to me, maybe he'll help me out here. You know, that's the thought. And, and here Christ has raised him from the dead and people are starting to swarm around Christ. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the rulers are getting angry with him because they're, he's stealing away their, their thunder. Then he goes and, and enters into Jerusalem. Well, what did they cry as they entered into Jerusalem? Hosanna to the son of David who comes in the name of the Lord. And they asked him, stop these people from saying this because they, they knew. They knew that he was proclaiming to be God in that statement, but they didn't want to acknowledge it in this place here. It is so funny to see their hypocrisy as you move forward. But as we move forward, what can we learn from this, the, this section? He has already stirred up the hornet's nest. He's already answered their questions. They've come to him with what they think are difficult questions, and he answers them just like, duh. You know, have, have you ever had a little kid come up to you and they think they've got you stumped and they ask you a question that they just know nobody has the answer for and you blurt it out to them and they're like, oh, I didn't think about that. You know, it's it just, it's so funny to watch sometimes how 
children are like that. But here, the, the, the religious leaders were, were forcing him or pushing him on these questions. Do we pay tribute or not? Duh. Render to Caesar. What is Caesar's? And unto God, what is God? Uh, what about the resurrection? If somebody raises from the dead and has been married several times, whose wife is... And he's like, you know, that doesn't even apply. You're not even looking at the Scriptures. You don't know the Scriptures and the power of God. What a deflate that must have been for them. And, and then, well, what's the greatest command? <laughs> That's simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Okay, well, I'm not doing that, so... If he's breaking the greatest command, isn't he worthy of death then? I mean, honestly, when you get to that situation. So Christ has put them in their place, and he gets to this one, and he's, what do you guys think? And I love the way he does this. As we look at this, while they were gathered together, Jesus asked them. So they had not dispersed yet. He's not going up to them trying to put them on the spot. They're just, they just happen to be there. And he asks a very simple question and a question that they can answer very easily. What do you think? And honestly, this is a good way to, to reason with people. Don't push on them and say, you are a sinner because you do da 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 and you're going to have this punishment. What do you think should happen to people who do this? What do you think should happen to people? What do you think God should do to someone like this? What do you think about this situation? And if we'll think about what, what we're asking, there's a, a more polite, a, a more diplomatic, you might even say, way of coming to people with the gospel. And this is what Christ is doing. What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? Seems like a very... Easy, simple question, because all along the way you see that David has been promised that he would reign forever. If you'll remember the story, uh, he wants to build the temple. And he, he says, can I build the temple? And the prophet says, do whatever you think. And he gets ready to start. And in that night, the prophet hears from God and says, nope, he's not supposed to do it. I think it's, is it Gad? I forget which prophet it was that came to David and did, but he says, no, don't do that. But your son will build the temple and you will have someone sit on the throne for eternity. And David took that as a promise that I'm going to have the, the, the Messiah is going to come through my, uh, through me. And you see this through his Psalms and, and the Psalm that's being quoted here. Uh, you can even go back to uh, Psalm chapter, um, if I ha have remembered correctly, uh, Psalm chapter 110. Uh, How saith David in spirit, calling him Lord? Um, yeah, it's Psalm chapter 110. It, it says this, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And so he, he brings this up and he puts this in front of him. If he is his son, then how is he his Lord? Now, the, the thing that I find amazing about this is that the psalm is not even about so much the deity of the Messiah. The psalm is about how that the nations will come 
to the Messiah, that the nations will praise him, uh, that they will worship him. And if you look down in, in verse 4 of Psalm chapter 110, it says that he is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Um, that means he's not just for the Jewish people. He is for all the nations. They're all to come in. What did Jesus just done? He had cleansed the temple, making it a, a, a house of prayer again for all the nations. That's a place where we could come in and, and pray. So if you're looking at this and saying, well, Jesus is not doing what he should here. Uh, he's trying to lift himself up. He has made a way for us. And, and here we still are trying, uh, the religions of the world are pushing him down and saying, he is not who he said he is. And he is trying to give us the opportunity where we can come before God and have a house of prayer. Isn't that exactly what you would expect our enemy to fight against, that we can come and be in the presence of God? That's That makes perfect sense to me. But Christ starts this off with a simple question. Who's the son? Who, who do you think? What do you think of Christ? Whose son is he? In this time, it was very common uh, for them to look at Messiah as the son of David. Uh, you can look back at Psalm chapter 89, verses uh, 35 and 36. It says this, Once have I sworn by my, holy, by my holiness that I will not lie unto David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the uh, son before me. What is he saying there? He's going to have someone to sit on the throne through eternity. That's what, it, that's what they understood this to mean. Uh, what are they looking at, though? What, what were the people wanting? They wanted someone like David to come. They were wanting someone to come and set up the kingdom right then and there. They were looking for peace in their time. They were looking for someone to make their physical life a little bit better, but not heal them spiritually. Does that make sense? And I think that's part of the problem that we have. Uh, when you go back and you look at the different religions, you see that most of them focus in, especially when it comes to what they think about heaven as it's a place of just focusing on me. Does that make sense? Uh, it's just to focus on me and what I think I would like. And they forget about honoring and glorifying God even when we're in heaven. So they were looking for a king very much like what you would find in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon, uh, upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with justice, or with judgment and justice from henceforth forever, uh, forever, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So that's what they were looking for. But they didn't look to the verse right before it. Uh, they'd forgotten that what Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 tells us. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. With his names right there given, uh, how could they miss it? 
but they did so easily. And they skipped on to the part that they liked, that he will have his throne forever. We will have peace. We won't have to pay the tribute anymore. I mean, honestly, is this what we think heaven is all about, that we won't have to pay uh, either uh, German Steuer or American Steuer, or does anybody pay anything else other than German or American Steuer here? Uh, Filipino Steuer? I don't know if that's something that I, I don't know. But that we won't have to pay Steuer when we get to, to heaven. We won't have to pay taxes when we... Is that what you think heaven is going to be like? That good, no more taxes. I mean, that will be good, but that's not what makes heaven heaven. Really? You know, d does that make sense? What makes heaven heaven? That he's there and we get to, we get, to get close to him. Um, moving back to the example that I had with my grandson earlier, uh, I was talking to my neighbor just yesterday about this and we were talking about how grandkids are the greatest. I mean, they just, I don't know how to describe, they are amazing. Uh, it, it, they just do something for you where you can see that generation and then the next generation, and you can see, wow, look at the potential here. Look at what God could do. Look at how things are progressing here. And it just does something for the inside of you that I cannot describe. We were sitting there, and he's shaking his head. Yeah, you're right. I can't describe it either. He's got a three-week-old granddaughter, and here I've got, you know, Ezra. And, and we're talking about it. And how do you put it into words? There's no words, but you read in the Bible where uh, people saw their grandchildren onto the third and fourth generation. And, and just being able to have that child close to you was a great comfort. What do you think it's going to be like as a child of Christ being able to get close to him? It, that should be even more that way. But I think that's something that they weren't looking at. Jesus brings the main point to the front from this passage that is talking about something a bit different. In, in Psalm 110, verse 1, it says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. In Psalm 110, we've already mentioned this, but it's primarily talking about uh, Messiah ruling over the entire world. Uh, he's going to have a worldwide reach. People will come from all over and praise his name. Uh, he will represent them before God. It shows that people will, will either yield to him willingly, or they will uh, be struck through. It, it says, I think it's down in verse 6, that he will strike them through with a rod of iron. I mean, it's very graphic. It's very brutal there. Uh, he's going to rule this is the way it's going to be. If you don't submit, what do you get? Uh, what should you get if you don't submit to him? Uh, he is their priest. And, and it, it's, it's neat when you see how Christ takes these passages that are so difficult sometimes for us to understand, and he pulls out a portion and he points, it, points us to it and says, look at this. Think about this. What is the son of David supposed to look like? He is supposed to be Lord. Now, something I think that is interesting about this, the people of his day stopped arguing right then, right there. They understood where he was going with it, 
and, and they didn't want to fight this anymore. They, they wanted to just stay in ignorance. They didn't ask any more questions. I mean, if you had Christ there and he had just made this statement, do you think you would have any questions about that? The Jewish people are famous for their questions. They will argue all day long. They have question after question after question. They should have had some questions about this, but they didn't because they understood where this was going. They understood what was going on with this passage. And, and it wasn't a, a, a mystery to them. Now, in our day and age, looking at this passage, I know there are a, a few questions that people will raise. Uh, when you look at this passage, you see the first Lord, it says, the Lord said to my Lord. The first Lord there is Yahweh or Jehovah, uh, Yahweh. yud heh vav -Heh is the, the Hebrew lettering of it. Uh, that always refers to God. That's what you find God uh, back in Exodus chapter 3. He says, who shall you, I say sent me? I am that I am, yud heh vav -Heh. Uh, The Lord Jehovah is his name or Yahweh is his name. The second one, though, that you see is not the yud heh vav -Heh, it's Adonai. And, and the interesting thing with Adonai is you find this all through the Word of God. Uh, there are thousands of times that it's mentioned where Yahweh is mentioned uh, about, I think if I remember correctly, about 2,000 times it's mentioned in the Old Testament. Uh, Adonai is mentioned, I think, 7,000 times. So it's used a lot more. We see it in every book except for Esther, I think, in, in the Bible. You see this in the Old Testament. Adonai uh, is mentioned a lot of times. And, and you see it said of, uh, Sarah uses it with Abraham. He's my Lord, you know, uh, when, when God says to Sarah, you'll have a child, she says, how shall I have a child and my Lord is old? Okay, that was Adonai. Uh, she used the word Adonai. Uh, a little bit later, you have when um, Abraham's servant is going to find Isaac, his bride. Which one is it? Rebecca? There we go. It's Rebecca. Um, Rebecca comes out and she says, Shall I water my Lord's camels? Uh, Adonai is used there. Uh, and so you see it all along the way, this word Adonai. And so oftentimes people will argue and say, this Adonai is not talking about God. Uh, you'll have other places where Adonai is God, obviously, and then some places where Adonai is obviously not God. How do you tell the difference in this situation uh, where Christ is using it? Well, first off, you see the context. And, and God expects us to look at the context of how things are going, what's being said here. Uh, and, and even in the context where David is writing, the Lord said to my Lord, sit thou on my right hand. Where is this person supposed to be sitting on the right hand of God? That's a position of power. That's equality. That's authority. That's a place of judgment where uh, the one can sit back and doesn't say a word, and the other can stand forward and say, I know exactly what he would say, and this, I'm the one mediating here. I'm the one in charge here. 
And that's oftentimes what would happen. A father would send out his son to do the mediating for the, the, the family. Think of Jacob and Joseph. Uh, Joseph got to wear the coat of many colors, and he got to go out and do business on behalf of Jacob. That's how it was supposed to work there. Um, but here, where is he sitting? On the right hand of the Father. Sit thou on my right hand. Tell him I make your enemies your footstool. Um, how do you, I mean, how long does that take? This is over a prolonged period of time. This is not just something that happens in five or ten years. This is all your enemies throughout time. And so it, the context of it dictates that it will be, should be God. But then the translators helped us out with this too, because they, they helped us by, anytime you see Adonai being used where it says Lord in relation to a person in the English, it has a lowercase l. And if it's being used for God, the translators have tried to help us here and put a, an uppercase L. And, and some people would say, well, see, there's where the translators have messed things up for us, and we can't trust the translators. And, and what's interesting to me, uh, what I find so funny is uh, when I talk to people like that, they say, your Bible is messed up. You can't trust your Bible. What you have in your hands, you can't trust it. If you go back and talk to their last prophet, Muhammad said, the book that you have between your hands, that's true. If you depart from it, you're, you're an infidel. You're worse than an infidel, and you're worthy of death. Uh, and it's funny because I've, I've pointed out to them, if I start trying to follow Muhammad, then I'm worthy of death. And so to follow Muhammad, I would have to stop following Muhammad. I can't follow him and follow him at the same time. Does that make sense? Uh, Muhammad can't be true because if he's true, then he's false in the same thing. He said that Jesus was not killed and he's not the son of God. But then he goes on in, in Sirah chapter four to say, who are we to say that he's not God? Because he was, Mary was a virgin, obviously. So God can do this if he wants to. And, and so there are so many contradictions that you see there. And, and when we get into this passage, when you, when you look at it, especially from a Muslim's point of view, uh, they have to acknowledge that Jesus is who he said he was. He is the greatest prophet. And the book that they have, who Muhammad said, this is the book, don't turn away from it. It matches up with ours. No, it doesn't match up with ours. But he tells them not to turn away from it. How do they reconcile that? Well, they say that our book is false. But Muhammad said it was not false. So who's right? Muhammad or you? And I've asked them that before, and they, they struggle to answer that. But lots of people struggle to answer this question because you bring it to the Mormons, and they struggle with this passage as well. Uh, Jesus was a son of God, just like Satan was a son of God. No, he wasn't. This is different. He is seated on the right hand of the Father. Uh, you, you bring it to the Jehovah's Witnesses, and they have very much the same problem, that uh, he, he did not die for our sins like what he said he would. If he didn't, then how do we be saved? Uh, we have the same problem. Uh, if he is 
if everything is God, then, you know, like the Hindus say, there's a problem there. Uh, how, how were things created? So what can we learn from this passage? What can, what can we glean from this? Well, first off, we need to acknowledge that how we come to Christ, or we need to be careful about how we come to Christ, how we come to Jesus. Proverbs tells us this, Surely he showeth this, uh, he scorneth the scorner, but giveth grace to the lowly. Um, and this is just another picture of how Christ, how God mirrors our attitude to him. Okay, if you come to God in a deceptive way, how do you think he's going to react to you in a deceptive way? If you come to him in a haughty way, how do you think he's going to react to you in a haughty way? Uh, if you come to him meek and lowly, how do you think he's going to react to you? Lowly and humble. Uh, it's it just, that's what the word of God pictures to us. And, and why wouldn't God do that? We do that with our kids so much of the time. I mean, I don't know how many times Cameron would come to me and he would just have a snotty attitude, a snarky attitude. And, and I'm like, you little brat, I'm not going to help you, you know. Uh, I'll shoot you in the head with a Nerf gun, you know, and, and we would go at it with the Nerf guns. You know, he's got his big uh, double barrel Nerf gun, and I would just pop up with my little and pop right in the head. There it is. You know, it, it's like, ha, huh? see, I got you. It, but, you know, we were playing around so much of the time, but with the hottie, we like to, we, we're not going to show mercy. We're going to show ourselves hottie too. Uh, but, and you might say, well, that's just rude. I'm like, really? That's how God operates with us. Why is that rude? So God shows himself, he mirrors us oftentimes when we come to him. Um, it's also interesting that when we come to him in such a way, oftentimes we're blinded. Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, it says this, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the mind of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Uh, do we get angry at a person for being blind? Do we get angry that they don't see everything going on around them? Do we get angry that they can't describe the blue of the sky or the red of the rose? We don't get angry with them. You, you're patient with them. You, you try to help them. Well, for someone that is without Christ, we've got to recognize that they are blind and they cannot help themselves oftentimes. They can't do anything. In fact, the Bible is very clear about this, that our salvation is all of Christ. He has to do the work. He has to open their eyes. He has to reveal it to them. He has to grant them repentance, the Bible says. And it, he, he gives them faith. And the only thing that I would add, it, it, it appears to me that we've got to exercise that faith. We've got to use what he's given to us and say, I don't know it all, but it appears to be true. God, help me here. And when we humble ourselves, when we yield to him, and that's the word that the Bible uses a lot of times is yielding to him, he will open things up to us. When we take our foot off the, the gas and, and stop pushing for our way, 
he opens up a way for us. And, and oftentimes, though, we, we struggle to, but I want it my way. And God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Um, if we will seek him early, he will be found of us. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 17, it says this, I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. Oftentimes we use that as, do your Bible reading in the morning. No, that's not what that's talking about. It, it means, start looking for him right now, and he will be found of you. He loves people to look for him. He, what did we have on, what was it, Wednesday night, we talked about it, is the glory of God to hide it, to conceal a matter, but it's the honor of kings to search it out. He likes for us to search things out from him. So the next thing that I see, God is three in one. This is confusing. This is a confusing concept, but one that God expects us to accept. Uh, this is not something that we often preach on Sunday mornings of the Trinity, but it's something that we ought to be willing to deal with because this is the problem that the Jewish people had at that time. How can you be God? How can you be the creator? You're a man right here in front of it. That's blasphemy. That's why they crucified him. Okay, the, this idea of the three-in-one God is at the crux of things. I've had people tell me, if you would just give up the idea that Jesus is God, we could have peace. Muslims and, and Christians could have peace. Just give that up. I'm like, I cannot give that up. That is at the heart of what we believe, that Jesus is God, that, Jesus, that God is three-in-one. Uh, we see it all in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, 2, and 3. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's God the Father. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. There's God the Spirit. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. There's the Word made flesh. There's the physical part right there. Do you realize that the words that I'm speaking right now, you can't see them, but they are physical. They are causing a vibration, and we can understand what's being said because of the vibration that's going out. It's physical. So you've got God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son right there. Just a little bit later, you see in him creating man, it says in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air, over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he them, he him. Male and female created he them. Uh, what I love to point out to people about this is it's hard to understand the Trinity, but it's fairly easy to see it in us as human beings. I mean... We have a physical part to us. Uh, if I, I had an uncle that had a wooden leg one time. We used to love to joke with him and kick his leg and, and you know, just kick it under the table. Did you feel that, Uncle Bill? Yes, I felt it because, you know, he says, I feel all kinds of things in that leg, that even when the leg's not there. But when he lost that part of his leg, did he lose? Did, did Uncle Bill change somehow because a part of him was gone? We cut off part of his. No, he was just his physical was altered, 
His intellect was still there. He was one of the smartest people I knew. Uh, did Morse code, talked to people all over the world through Morse code. Uh, but he also, not just an intellect, he, he not only just had an in, he had more than just the intellect, he had a spirit. Uh, he was a godly man. Uh, and, and you could see this in him. So we as human beings, we are physical, we are intellect, but we are also spiritual. Um, it, it, is it hard to understand? Yes, it is. But God expects us to. We see it in everything around us. What, is, what, are, what makes up everything around us? Um, the chair that you're sitting on, what makes it up? Uh, what is it made up of? Atoms. Uh, what is an atom made up of? You've got a proton, a neutron, and an electron. Is that correct? Did I get it right? Okay, you've got those three things. And do any of us see those three things? What is an atom made up primarily of? Space. <laughs> You're sitting on thin air, basically, and you trust it, and that it will hold you up. Um, you know, it just, we can't understand it. You can't understand the atom. I mean, people that say that they understand these things, it, it's kind of like Addie saying she understands math because she knows two plus two is. You know, she doesn't understand math, right? Yeah, you know what two plus two is, it's five, right? No, oh, did I get that wrong? Yeah, okay, two plus two is four? Is that right? Okay, there we go. Uh, but to say you understand math because you can understand two plus two, you're grasping it, but there's so much more to it than just that. Well, there's more to our existence than just what we can see. Last thing that I, I think we ought to look at is if God went to the trouble to bring Christ and to pay for our sins and to put him there and to go through all this questioning, what should we do? What should we do with him? How should we understand this? What should we, what should we glean from it? Well, first off, we, we really ought to understand we are so valuable to him. You know, John 3, 16, I don't get tired of using this verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He loves us so much. He loves you so much. Okay, this is something that I have, have argued with, with Muslims about quite often. God is love. The Bible tells us God is love. Well, is Allah, what they believe in as God, is he a loving God? Uh, not, not so much. Why would he love me? And it's interesting because I put it to one of the men that I was talking to one time. I said, so you love your daughter, but Allah doesn't love you. So you do something that Allah can't do. Huh, I had not thought about that before. You know, it gave him something to think about. Uh, he didn't come to Christ then, but you never know uh, what God will do in his heart. But do you, do you see how much God loves us? And in every other religion, there's no personal relationship with God. God created us to have a personal relationship with him. And how are we doing with that personal relationship with him? Uh, those of us that have spouses, uh, that's one of the greatest relationships in the world. And from that, you, 
grow and have children. And from that, you grow and have grandchildren, and it just gets better and better. Or as one of my pre pastor friends would say, it just gets gooder and gooder. You know, it just, it's wonderful. When we look at love, it is a wonderful thing, and God loves us. What does this say about us when we just push it back at him and say, no, I, I don't want to have a relationship with you? What should he do? I mean, if a guy gets flowers and a ring for a girl and goes up, will you please, please, please marry me? And she says, no, what's he supposed to do? I mean, what is, what is he supposed to do? Pull out a gun and say, you're going to marry me or else? Does that work? No, I mean, you know, that doesn't work. It's got to be a two-way street there. And that's the same way it is with God. He is gentleman enough to give us room that if we say no, he won't force us, okay? What do you think you get if you reject his love? What is it that keeps us from God? Well, Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2 says this, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that he cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. It's our sin. The sin has to be dealt with. What are we going to do with it? Are we going to yield and say, okay, God, I do have a sin problem. Please forgive me. Please help me to overcome. You overcome it for me. Uh, or are we going to stay stubborn and say, I have the right to do what I want to do? How are we going to come to God? I hope today that wherever you're at in this relationship, because I guarantee you, each and every one of us have somewhere to move. We have something to do here. We, we have an area that we need to surrender to him. Are you going to surrender that to him or are you going to be stubborn? Okay. What will you do with Jesus? They left him alone. They went away. I hope you don't do that. I hope you keep following after him and keep asking him questions and keep begging him to please help me with this. What are, what are you going to do with Jesus? Let's go ahead and close in, in a word of prayer. Dear Father God, thank you so much for your love to us. Thank you for the way that you take care of us. Uh, thank you for this wonderful truth that you gave us out of this little passage from Psalm 110, how that you were the son of David, but you're God in the flesh. Uh, Lord, we don't understand that. How could we understand you? Uh, to understand you would be to understand the universe. Uh, we just don't have that capability. Lord, I pray you will have patience with us, but Lord, I pray you would help us to trust you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We love you. I pray that if there's someone that's watching that doesn't know you as their Savior, that today will be the day that they just turn and start following after you. Uh, just do a work in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Well, I think we've got... Do we have time for another song? Okay, Courtney, we've got to go quick, so strum fast.